Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you here. We're going to continue our series on worship today. Before I do so, I need to make an announcement. Uh, The events that happened in Columbia, Missouri, at University of Missouri this week, impact the entire world, and especially us, because we are a people that stress diversity and unity and what reconciliation looks like. We are a very eclectic group. Strange, some people would call us. Uh, Predominantly African-American, in that we're about 60%, but the rest Asian, Latino, and white. Not quite sure what we are. Hard to define us. Except my goal was to have us look a whole lot like heaven. And by his grace, he's done that. Having said that, anytime something that is tension-filled with respect to ethnic diversity or relations happens in our nation that has national impact, it's important for me and us to discuss it so we know how best to apply our principles of unity to the world's issues. I don't have time this morning to talk about that, and indeed it would take the entire sermon moment that I've got in order to explain the biblical perspective we need to have about what happened in Missouri and with Jonathan Butler. So please go to the website and read my blog. That will help you, and it will help you help us become what we should be. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation. We're going to look at chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. The title of the message is, Worship, a Proper Response to His Presence. Worship, a Proper Response to His Presence. Revelation 4, verses 8 through 11. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, and, eye, and are full of eyes and around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, Verse 10, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, verse 11, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Lord, help us as we study. Two things I'd like to concentrate on with respect to this passage. One, what incessant proclamation looks like, and two, what it means to have obeisant behavior. The word obeisant means to give homage to a superior. Let me give some background to this. John, the beloved, one of the apostles, is writing this, and he is pinning what he sees. He happens to be probably, by his own admission now, the disciple that Jesus loved. And although you can always kind of tongue-in-cheek that moment because he wrote it about himself, Nonetheless, true. He may not be the disciple that Jesus loved the most, but he's the disciple that Jesus loved. Had a close relationship with Christ. He was one of the 12. He was the youngest of the 12, we believe. 18 years old when Jesus called him. That makes him right about 22 when Jesus rises from the dead and he is called an apostle. Oh, God loves young people. Peter was the eldest of the group at 26. These are the folk that Jesus thought would be the most competent to form his church, to lead his church, to inscribe doctrine. Paul 
would be an apostle. He wasn't a part of the 12. But he was the eldest of all of them, but only by three years. Maybe equal with Peter. And so we're not talking about a bunch of gray hairs formulating doctrine and running the church. We're talking about young people. And this is one of the reasons we are intentional about our concentration on young people, whether it be children, whether it be teens, whether it be colleges. We staff double the amount on that end than we do on the adult end. Intentional. Because we want to reach the next generation. Now, those of you with gray hair like me, I hope would be happy and say, Amen. Amen. And not just say, well, wait a minute, what about me? <laughs> it's never about you when you've got a second generation. You had kids in your house, didn't you? It was never about you. It was all about making sure they had a platform that was your life to springboard into their destiny. That's what the church is about. That's what this church is about. Jesus chose a bunch of 20-somethings and a couple of teenagers to be his apostles. John grew up by this time. He's on the Isle of Patmos. And he got there by no choice of his own. He wasn't a missionary to the spot, though while he was there, I'm sure he ministered. He was, he was exiled there by Rome. Legend has it, though we don't find this part in Scripture, all the other apostles had been martyred by then. Every one of them, except John. But that's not because the Roman Empire didn't try. Legend has it that they, they attempted to boil him in oil, and, and he wouldn't cook. So it became kind of a, a spa moment for John, I guess. I don't know. But they had to take him out. They said, what do we do with this guy who survives death? What do we do with him? So they exiled him to an isle called Patmos, which had really no real civilization. It was a mining colony, and not mining gold or diamonds. And diamonds really weren't an issue back then. They didn't know how to get them. They couldn't dig that deep in the earth. But gold or silver, it was, it was industrial mining in order to keep their economy going. There's nothing of real uh, precious value out of what was coming out of these mines. And they sent John there and said, okay, figure out life there. And on this isle of exile, Jesus reveals himself in a way like he has never revealed himself to anybody. And John knows who Jesus was, spent three and a half years with him. But he doesn't know him like this. And so all of a sudden he's there doing what he does, having his regular devotions. And then the heavens open up. Now, I'm making the first part up, but not the second. We don't know whether he was in regular devotions, but I do know he had regular devotions. There was no New Testament. He was penning it. But there was Old Testament. And this man was full of the word. And he was the one that, that Jesus entrusted the most with his mother. So the love for Christ and his purposes and, and will and word didn't wane in John's life. He was amazing in his devotion. As he was doing whatever devotion mandated, all of a sudden the heavens opened. And he saw Jesus in chapter 1. And he'd never seen him like this, face shining like the brightness of the sun, hair white as wool, legs of burnished bronze, a tumult of water that sounded like Niagara Falls was pouring out of his mouth, and he was blown away. He didn't know what to do with this. He was just like, oh, I didn't know you were like this. I mean, I knew you were God, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. And he said, the angel said, pin this stuff I'm about to write. And then he writes two, three, and four. 
talking about the churches in Asia Minor and what they needed to do. Excuse me, two and three, talking about the churches in Asia Minor, what they needed to do. And once it got to the end of chapter three, I'm sure John thought, whew, that was amazing. That was really great. Okay, church is over now, right? And then he hears the angel and says, um, you can't get what, what you got to get from here. And the voice of God says, come up here to get what I got to show you next. Come up here. I don't know at what level you have a relationship with God, but I do know this, that there's another one. And if you can't, if you don't regularly ascend to the next level, you're going to miss what God wants to show you. And it, it could not have, in John's mind, it could not have been any better. It could not have been any better than where he was. And then the voice of God says, come up here. Because I have some things I want to reveal to you. You can't get it from there. And there ought to be a next level mentality in your mind regularly. Wherever you are, great. Glad you're not where you were. But there's someplace else to go. God wants to bring you regularly to a new spot in him. And never be satisfied with where you are. Always thankful, but realize there's more to do for him. There's more to see of him. And there's more to love about him. Always go to another level in his presence. There's more he wants to reveal, which means you need to read your Bible every day. <clears throat> so he says, come up here. And um, so John does. And all of a sudden he sees stuff. He says, wow, this is a worship service. And he sees angels with eyes in their head all around and all on the inside. I don't know what that means. But that's cool. That's really like, wow. And he's saying, I've got eyes every place. And, and, and these, these angelic beings, and there are all kinds of angels. The ones that we think about with nice, symmetrical two wings, kind of, kind of clothed in white and tall with beautiful flowing hair. You can't find any of those in the Bible. But I don't mind if that's what you want it to look like. I don't mind. But you can't find, and, and you can't find fat babies with wings either. They don't exist in the Bible either. I, I don't know what your version of cherub looks like, but that's not what the Bible says it looks like. And whatever John had as a vision of an angel, he was blown away with what he just saw. But they are ominous. They are powerful. They, they catch your attention. And there he's sitting there, these angels... And, and the heavenly hosts are singing. And it says they never cease to, to say this. Meaning they never stop. It is incessant proclamation. Yes, and you think our worship service lasts a long time. These folks never stopped. It went on and on. And it's not because they didn't have something better to do. It's because there was nothing better to do. This was the most productive thing they could do with their time, is worship. And so they just went on and on and on. And let me tell you, though you might think this might not be a good use, I mean, how in the world could anybody just keep going and nonstop forever? Because, see, John, John pierced the temporal veil of time and space and went into eternity. Whether with, with his eyes or whether in body, I don't know. But he saw something and experienced something that was different than what he had here. 
because it was in the eternal realm. It was where God lived. And, and, and we, when you do that, it, it's eternity messes with our brains. Eternity, we, we, understand, we understand from here and forever, even though that's difficult for us to get. We get that. There's a starting point to something, and then there's a, a supposed to be a, a, a non-ending point for those who love him. Eternal life. But eternity has no, no starting point. It, 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 just, it just was. And so to wrap our minds around something that doesn't begin but just was is a little bit difficult. And then it never ends. And so when you... When, you, when you're John and you peep your head through the temporal and, and, and begin to view what's in eternity, when are you? Not where are you. When are you? Oh, no. But it doesn't matter because time doesn't matter. Because time only matters when you have to measure it. I, I, see, eternity is just different. It's just different. And so he's peering, and, he, and all of a sudden he hears this. Now, the astounding thing that we take for granted is that these angels are talking in a language that he understands. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I begin to speak either with the tongue of men or angels and have not love, I'm a clanging gong and a, and a resounding cymbal. So he says that there are tongues of men, and then there are tongues of angels. I don't know what those tongues are of angels, but whenever they talk to God, they talk an angel. <laughs> Whatever it is, they talk an angel. They don't need to talk in our language because we're not there. But even they respect the idea of not speaking in tongues. Unless it's understandable. That's another sermon. I'm sorry. May I say, I speak in tongues. We are a church that believes in that. But even they, where, where do you think Paul got the script on what, it, what it's like to hold a service in order? It came from heaven. He went there before John. He just, he saw stuff God wouldn't let him say. So here we have this worship moment. And these angels are speaking in some language that John understands, which means this. That not only did they want to respect the fact that John was in the room and that he could help and, and, and not help, but receive benefit from what was going on, but that because he was inscribing this stuff, that he would learn something from their perspective and their worship and carry it on through the rest of the church. Because we have no picture of a worship service in the New Testament. We have instruction, but we have no picture. Paul talks about singing and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 talk about what a worship service ought to look like, that you wait for one another, and you love one another, and you, you make sure it's in order and decent. And, uh, it, lots of instruction, but we don't have a service. And sometimes we impose what we think is a service upon passages of Scripture that don't even talk about a service, i.e., 1 Timothy 2, where it talks about what a man and a woman ought to be. And how it says, quote, and ladies, just hold on now, hold on. It says a woman ought to be silent. It's not what you, it doesn't mean what you think it means. So don't get mad at me right now. Amen. No place in there is, does it say anything about a church service. Nope. You have to impose that on it because it's your own religious idea. Amen. And it, it, what, what Paul is trying to instruct Timothy on, generally speaking, are marital relations. 
and how a man relates to a woman, how a woman relates to a man. And if a woman is constantly nagging her husband about everything he needs to do, she probably would be more effective if she were and live it rather than talk about it. That's all he's trying to say. Now, that is not just relegated to women. Men, hello. That'll work for you too. He was just dealing with the situation particular in that church, not for all women every place. I'm just letting you know. Just letting you know there's nothing about a church service in that passage. Yet that the church has developed all kind of doctrine about what women can't do at church. Mm. And you say, well, what about 1 Corinthians 14 where he says, uh, if they got something to talk about, let them, let them go home and talk to their husbands. <laughs> what happened back then? I went over to India a few years ago and we had a church service. And the women sat on one side and the men, men sat on the other. In Corinth, they were the only church. The only church. There wasn't another church whereby they could go and say, how do you do this? So when you have women who have no idea what their men are getting, Man got born again, woman didn't. Guy brings woman to church, his wife. She's way over here, he's way over there. They don't allow men and women to sit together. She has no idea what a church service is supposed to be like. Pagans went to their own individual temple. They sat in front of their little cubicle of worship, lit their candle, prayed their prayer, and walked out. There was no service, there was no sermon, there was no order of worship. It was individualized. So when you come into a setting like this, which is structured and intended to allow the entire church to benefit from one message and congregational singing, this is foreign to a Gentile. They have no idea what to do. So they don't know that they're not supposed to say, Antoine, what are you talking about? I don't know what that man's saying up there. He's talking in tongue. Can you help me? You brought me to this church. So she's talking way across the aisle. That's what Paul's talking about. If you got a question, just hold on to it. And ask when you get it home. Don't disrupt the entire service. And we made a whole doctrine. Women ought to be silent. Just stupid. Just flat stupid. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've departed from the core of the message here. I haven't even got to point one. I haven't even got to point one. Incessant worship. These, and, and, the, and the angels just, it's a moment. And they say, we have to speak in a language that John can understand. Because I need him, we need him, all, to communicate this to the church about what worship is to look like. And so in our worship uh, 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 series here, we haven't talked much about anything regarding what we do on Sunday morning. It's all been about what you should do on Tuesday. That's how worship ought to look during the week. That your lifestyle ought to reflect your love for him on a regular basis. But this, this topic here, which it looks like now we're going to have to extend to next week, <laughs> is all about how we do what we do on Sunday morning. And here we have a picture of it. And the angels, and I don't know what language in which they were speaking. Don't know. There were four possible. Latin, which was what the Romans had. Greek, which was the, the common reading language. Hebrew, which was what the Jews understood, although they didn't speak it very much. And Aramaic, which was the common language of the Jews in the, in the Promised Land. Four languages. John probably spoke and understood three really well. Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Latin, probably not so much because he just didn't need to. But whatever language the angel spoke in, it was intelligible to John. So they wanted John to get this message. And the first thing they said, holy. Holy. And, 
And remember, this is a worship service. It, it says it, they did not cease to say this. So after they said it, they said it again. And again, and again, and again. And it, there was no stopping point. And there is something about seeing him, about seeing him for who he is, not the caricature that you have in your mind, but seeing him in all of his glory that doesn't ever want to make you stop saying thank you and honoring him for who he is and proclaiming his differentness from everything else in the universe. And the angelic beings said holy, and then they said, wait, he's so holy, I got to say it again. Holy, holy. And that ain't enough. Holy, holy, holy. You are so... And holiness is that which means set apart, consecrated, different than anything else. You are so different than us. Mankind, when, when mankind sees us, meaning the angelic beings, they get on the ground because they're so afraid. We are so awesome to them. But we don't even... Begin to approximate who you are. You are so different than us. And you're so different than anything that you have made. You are holy. And there is no way we can say it well enough. Now you say, well, holy means set apart. But, but, but what does it really mean when they say it? Well, it's hard for us to get a grasp. Because God is the only one who is really holy. We practice holiness. We just try to get close. God calls us to be holy for he is holy. For he called us for this purpose. 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. He called us for this purpose. And he calls us to be holy for he is holy. But we can't be as holy as he is ever. But that should not dissuade us from trying because that's our calling. And all holiness is, is the beauty of his character. The beauty of his character. Perfect. Perfect. And because he made us in his image, he wants to be able to look at you and see a mirror reflection. He made you in his image. So when he sees you, he wants to look at himself. How, how great is the distinction? How wide is the chasm between what he sees and what should be? I don't know. But the goal of our life is to make it smaller and smaller and smaller. So that not only when he sees you, he sees himself, but when other people see you, they see him. Are you listening to me? Oh, we can't be him ever. Nobody will ever confuse you with being God. One of the best bumper stickers in the world. I won't put it on my car because I don't put bumper stickers on my car. But I, I, I read this in the 80s. There's, there are two things I know for sure. There is a God and I am not him. No one will ever confuse you with being him. But they ought to confuse you regularly with being like him. Yes. And that doesn't come through performance. 
Holiness is not performance. It doesn't come through dress. My wife was a, um, she got born again at the age of 16 in, in the Pentecostal church. Love the Pentecostals. Love them. Fabulous. Um, but, but in this particular church, she, she, had to, she had to wear a certain kind of dress. Uh, had to cover up most of her skin, so it had to be long sleeves for the most part. Long skirts. Um, very drab colors. No makeup. You could wear a watch. That's the only jewelry you could really wear. And it had to be a Timex. Timex. Prescribed. Maybe, it, maybe not in all Pentecostal, but in hers, her church. And really couldn't do her hair. Which for a black woman is like, wow, really? I can't put a perm in my head. I can't do that. And so, now, before she met me, she realized that that is not holiness. See, holiness is not that which is performed on the outside to change the inside. Holiness happens in here. It is the beautiful character of God. Now, when you are holy on the inside, it should reflect on the outside. So it'll have some impact on how you dress. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. It will. That even though I can't tell when somebody is holy by how they dress, I can tell whether they are unholy by how they dress. I can tell that. I can tell that. Holiness happens here. Here. God, I want to be more like you every day. I want to love people better. I want to live with greater integrity. I want to honor you with the words of my mouth. I want to be an honest man. I want to be a good friend. I just want to be you to everybody else. If it means I've got to sacrifice all that I have that I hold precious, so be it as long as people can see me, can see you in me. Please, oh Lord. Let me be like that. That's what they, holy, holy, we're supposed, when we get together, we are to proclaim how different he is. Why? Because our tendency is always to reduce him down and make him in our image. And therefore, we ain't got far to go. If he's made like us, God's your pal. He's your boy. He just can hang with you and do what you do and go where you go and enjoy everything about you. But as long as we continue to proclaim him different than us, then we understand how far we have to go to get like him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. (laughs) You know what's really sad about this? I have to finish and it's point one. I haven't even gotten to point one, point one. But I love worship. Let's pray. Gosh, I'm trying so hard. God in heaven, I'm asking for your grace. Help us to understand more about you and who you are and how much you want us to be like you and what the proclamation of holy means.